Are you ready? You gotta talk. No. Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm one of your hosts, Caroline Donato. And I am uh, another host, although I feel like a guest, a chastised guest, Pete Kratza. <laughs> he says that after making fun of me for the entire morning. And actually, a prosecutor this morning in a case we both have together noted after Pete left the courthouse, man, he was sassy today. And I said that's because he has to spend all day with me. No, it's because you guys all describe me as jolly, and I never want to be described as jolly. First of all, <laughs> jolly defense lawyer? That's insane. So I, yes, then I became, what was the second word? Sassy. Sassy, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're jolly until you're not. Well, right. I, I don't want to be liked. Says the guy who plays paddle and plays golf and has so many friends from so many different... At least in a courtroom. It's not my, you know, it, the only people that need to like me are the fact finders. Welcome back, listener. You know, we haven't done this since March. Pete is feeling sassy. <laughs> Stop using that <laughs> word. And we've spent too much time together today. Um, yeah, this could be real quick. It could be really, really quick. And we thought to break uh, these episodes up into quick segments because I've got to tell you, after getting the Cosby opinion from the Supreme Court where Cosby was released, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the memes on everybody's been saying free Britney, but instead of Britney, you get Cosby. Well, that was the right decision by the Supreme Court. We'll talk about it. But in reviewing the Supreme Court opinion and kind of touching upon our episodes on the Superior Court opinion. Were there like nine of them? There was three. All right. They seem like nine. Oh, my God. Were they long-winded? Mm. I'm so sorry. I'd like to formally apologize. I get On to, your behalf. On my behalf. Yeah. You, you do your thing, and I think everybody forgives you. Mine was because you're super jolly and I'm going to walk out of this room. <laughs> No, but truly, I got in the weeds, and I'm going to do better. We're going to keep these. You're off to a great start. <laughs> We're going to keep these episodes to 10 minutes, maybe 12, not getting beyond that. Pete, tell I'm the listeners. talk to the Aligned Space people about putting, like, a shot clock in this uh, You always have a complaint when we're in this room. You always well, have something air, to the say. The air is pretty good right now. Uh, so we're talking about Cosby, right? Well, I thought you wanted to tell people what's been going on since we last recorded. It's been a while, and... I have been getting comments that we haven't done this in quite some time. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, when you get to be my age, Caroline, and you're sassy and jolly, I, I don't remember you're jolly three, 50s? three months ago. Um, but it, I was talking to you earlier, in all seriousness, about how we, on the one hand, have been uh, fortunate work wise um, in retrospect in Chester County, we really didn't close down as long as other places did. Um, at the time, I was critical of it. I'd still think it was risky. But, um, you know, it, it just, it, we, it, we've, been doing, we've been back to work so long that uh, I think we took it for granted a little bit. Um, what do you mean? No, just like for us, I think for some of our colleagues who practice primarily in other counties like Philadelphia, um, the impact of the COVID shutdown was definitely more lasting, even in Montgomery County. Um, and here, it just wasn't as much. I mean, yeah, there weren't jury trials, but we were in court a lot. And um, that's just what I've been thinking about. 
But in terms of what we've been up to, you know, same old stuff, right? I don't, I don't know. I described to who I hope will be a guest one day. Is this a mystery guest? No, it's, oh. it's Greg Ald, our oh, investigator. Okay. I want him to be a guest. But I was telling him, was it Greg or was somebody else? Um, oh, no. It was it was one of his guys, and I needed him to do some work on a new case. And he said, man, you got some really interesting stuff this year because this is one of, one of the many cases we worked on together in the past 10 mm-hmm. months. And I said, I got to tell you, this time last year, July 2020, I was hungry for like a really juicy good case. Back then in July 2020, when the courts were shutting down, the juiciest thing a lot of us were getting were PFA defense because no one wanted to be in a house with anybody else. And it, that was an ongoing mess. But a year ago, I was hungry and I told him today, I said, we're fortunate, but I'm gluttonous and full and fat. I mean, we have some really f- interesting cases going on right now and that which explains. we can't talk we about. can't talk about them right. some of the clients are starting to say when it's resolved please talk about my case they're listening to the podcast right? yeah. yeah wow i thought only my battle friends listen to this shout out to kyle <laughs> kyle peaches threw up a peace sign and that's what you do in your jolly 50s mm, shut up uh all right let's talk about cosby for a minute go ahead um so the opinion came down uh, the basically the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania held that the non-prosecution agreement between the district attorney at the time, Bruce Castor, and Cosby's defense lawyer, now deceased at, at the time he was alive, um, were uh, was binding under, it seems, uh, not only due process principles, but contract principles. And one of the things that really struck me and this should be required reading for all prosecutors, is Commonwealth v. Clancy. Love this. Prosecutors are more than mere participants in our criminal justice system. As we explained in Commonwealth v. Clancy, prosecutors inhabit three distinct and equally critical roles. They are officers of the court, advocates for victims, and administrators of justice. As the Commonwealth's representatives, prosecutors are duty-bound to pursue equal and impartial justice and to serve the public interest. Their obligation is not merely to convict, but rather to seek justice within the bounds of the law. Amen. And, you know, it's a constant refrain, maybe complaint, of mine that we are, the, the longer I do this, that it just seems that prosecutors uh, just parrot the position of their alleged victims. They completely abdicate role three. They are they have a greater responsibility than we do. We advocate within the bounds of the law for our clients who are accused of crimes. They're supposed to do more. And Clancy should be required reading. Um, that's my public service announcement. But be that as it may, they basically found that the agreement between Castor and Cosby's lawyers that, that Cosby detrimentally relied upon to testify at a deposition um, under the uh, um, promise from the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office that he was not, that he was never going to be prosecuted. Then he testifies, and then lo and behold, 10 years later, they charge him. Um, I thought it was a great read, um, and I think it was a right decision. You and I both discussed that we were a little disappointed that they never got to the 404B, 
um, issue. Tell them what the 404B issue is. Well, so if anybody's a masochist, go listen to episodes oh, okay. 11, yeah, right. through, 11 through 13. So we spent, there, there were several errors complained of on appeal or raised on appeal to the Superior Court. And the error raised on appeal to the Superior Court that I think was decided, I think it's three and four. So basically, can a prosecutor say to a defendant, I'm not going to prosecute you so that you can give a deposition under oath in a civil case and the victim in a, or the complainant in a criminal prosecution, rather than seek justice through the criminal system, will seek justice through the civil system money. and get money from you. But you can't claim a Fifth Amendment right in your deposition when that complainant is seeking money from you because you're concerned of a criminal prosecution. That's what Castor did years ago, 15 years ago or so. And that is what Cosby relied upon. And within a decade, Risa Furman, who's now a judge in Montgomery County, she reopened the case. She was the DA. She was the DA at the, at the time. And then Kevin Steele, who's the DA now, is who prosecuted the case. And what the Supreme Court is saying, no, prosecutors, lead district attorneys, you you bind somebody when you say that. I think the language that I really liked here is while a prosecutor's discretion in charging decisions is undoubtedly vast. It is not exempt from basic principles of fundamental fairness, nor can it be wielded in a manner that violates a defendant's rights. So basically, Cosby was said, we promise we're not going to prosecute you. Go ahead and make an admission. Cosby makes an admission in a deposition. A civil suit um, uh, resolves. And following that, years later, his deposition is used against him in a criminal trial. That's blatantly against principles of fundamental fairness. And that was the right call by the Supreme Court. However, there was significant 404B evidence that needed to be addressed, and it wasn't. Pete, I think the words you used was the Supreme Court punted that issue. And that issue would just translate to so many sex cases. Well, and by the way, you were supposed to just talk about the 404B. You just talked about everything I talked about. I know, but I wanted to explain This is to how these episodes it. go too long. We're putting a shot clock in here. Okay. For, um, 404B evidence, character uh, evidence, is inadmissible in a criminal trial to say that on a particular occasion, a, a criminal defendant or accused defendant didn't, acted in conformity with that character, bad character, violent character, untruthful character, what have you. You cannot do that under 404A of the Pennsylvania Rules of Criminal Procedure. Excuse me, Pennsylvania Rules of Evidence. I'm trying to go way too fast here right. just to meet that shot right, clock. Just go ahead. Right. Can I have a little more time? Sure. There is an exception. It's 404B evidence. Character of a particular defendant can come in to show another purpose other than the fact that that defendant Motive, acted. lack of mistakes, signature yeah. crime, stuff like that. And the problem in this case was that they were taking uh, alleged incidents not charged from decades earlier, right, in, about, in his life. There are several women that they used to say, hey, he did this back in the 80s, back in the 90s. And because he did that, that has a common plan or scheme that has a, that shows intent. And that's how he did it with the complainant in this criminal prosecution. Therefore, there was no mistake here. There was absolute intent. And that's 404B evidence that the defense sought to preclude. Because ultimately, remember, if you do, if you're a masochist and you go back to those episodes, please don't, um, Castor acknowledged in the habeas hearing that they didn't have enough evidence based off of that complainant statement alone because they couldn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's why they needed Cosby's admission. 
that's why they needed 404B witnesses to bolster their case to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. The first case ended in the, the mistrial. Then they added more 404B witnesses. But the Supreme Court didn't address that. They just said, you can't say to somebody you're not going to prosecute them, so they give an admission under oath in a deposition, which is used against them in a civil case, and then prosecute them a decade later. This is a really unique case, fortunately and unfortunately. It kind of shows prosecution. You can't do whatever you want. But at the same time, there were issues here that I wish the Supreme Court addressed because that would translate to many more criminal cases, and I think to the defense benefit. Yeah, I mean, I think the 404B is much more likely to rear its ugly head. And now all we have is a Superior Court decision, which kind of lets stand. These witnesses were from 1982 to like 1989. Um, And, you know, the issue that we, the issues I had with it was not only the untimeliness, because it's, I won't say it's unprecedented, but it's definitely expanding the time period, you know, because a normal objection is it's too remote. You know, it's from 30 years ago. And then another objection would be that they aren't really signature crimes. And some of these things didn't really, they weren't the same as what he was accused of doing. So now that's still there. That's the Superior Court decision. The Supreme Court punts on the issue because they say, you know what, we reached this other issue that the uh, non-prosecution agreement was was binding. So we don't need to get to the 404B. Would have been really nice for them to get to the 404B. And how so convenient. So that'll, that'll live, you know, another day. We'll probably have to encounter it or, or somebody in, in the Commonwealth will have to encounter it and appeal it all over again. Um, but uh, one of the other things, and we'll leave this alone, uh, put Cosby to bed. But the point is that, uh, <laughs> remember what I said, you made me listen to those old episodes to kind of refresh what we talked about. And I said they included the one issue because O'Neill and Castor didn't like each other. Remember mm-hmm. about O'Neill's, you know. Well, uh, O'Neill's the judge. Yeah. Well, they, the, the Supreme Court in this case, had to do such gymnastics between deferring to uh, the credibility determinations of the trial court versus, you know, their review is supposed to be on the law and they're not supposed to substitute their their position in terms of uh, credibility determinations. Fact-finding. That's exactly what they're doing. But they they just, like, they it was just this circuitous path to basically eventually getting to the fact, yeah, this is more of a legal issue. It's not a credibility issue. Well, good luck with that. And listen, Castor didn't make it easy. He was given the different scenarios, um, whether via press releases or press interviews or emails. But at the end of the day, from my perspective, regardless of what he's claiming, um, you know, the, the agreement was, What's more important and what the Supreme Court narrowed on is the reliance of Cosby and his lawyer in terms of, of what the, you know, the, the agreement was or what they, they perceived reasonably the agreement to be. This also, to me, did not paint her lawyers in the most favorable light. I mean, it's, you know, what Castor, I didn't pick this up the first time. Her meaning the alleged victim. The alleged victim. Well, I mean, she she was a victim and whatever. But the point is that, uh, you know, they made it seem to me like it was a, you know, on the one hand, yeah, 
we're, we're fully informed. We understand what's going on. We want the DA to put this in, in writing because we want to make sure that uh, the, the civil court judge can't say that Cosby has Fifth Amendment. We get our money. And then 10 years later, oh, no, that wasn't the, the agreement at all. That's unbelievable. Okay, what really. I really enjoyed, and, you know, we're going to go into this just a little further. What I really enjoyed was in the Supreme Court opinion, they acknowledge portions of the record that were not touched upon in the Superior Court opinion because they were focusing on these two issues. One of them was an email that District Attorney Castor sent to new District Attorney Risa Furman when she was thinking about reopening mm -hmm. the case. This email is wild. Quote, I intentionally, this is Castor speaking to Furman, I intentionally and specifically bound the Commonwealth that there would be no state prosecution of Cosby in order to remove him, remove from him the ability to claim his Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination, thus forcing him to sit for a uh, deposition under oath. And for beyond that, knowing the above, I can see no possibility that Cosby's deposition could be used in a state criminal case because I would have to testify as to what happened and the deposition would be subject to suppression. I cannot believe any state judge would allow that deposition into evidence nor anything derived therefrom. And he actually sent two emails. Mm -hmm. You know, the first email was unsolicited to her and he said that her civil lawyers participated and were part of the agreement because they wanted Cosby to testify. They wanted to get his money. Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted the civil judge to, to, to see that there was no way he was going to be prosecuted, so he couldn't assert the fifth. And then there was this language about revisiting um, you know, the decision. The revisiting the decision was actually his, his decision not to publicly comment on what the civil lawyers were doing. It wasn't revis revisiting his decision about whether to prosecute Cosby. Yeah, man. I mean, and notwithstanding these emails that were introduced into evidence, the trial court says, I don't know whether or not there was a binding yeah, agreement. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this had so, to go all the way up to the Supreme Court while somebody sat in prison for years. I don't think the public's going to lose any sleep over that. But at the end of the day, you know, they reached the issue. I think they reached the right decision, but they reached it on um, uh, grounds that are very unlikely to reoccur whereby 404B now, they're going to continue prosecutors across the Commonwealth to try to push the envelope to bring it. Imagine, listener, if you're on trial and you're accused of doing something and they find somebody, they, they get them out of the woodwork from 30 years prior in your life saying, oh, yeah, she did the same thing to me. And then they're allowed to testify. And then the jury's told, just because we brought in this evidence of 30 years ago that uh, that uh, the defendant did this. You're not supposed to use that evidence to say, well, if they did it then, they did it now. Here's a clue. They will. That's me talking, not the judge. Or, but you're supposed to use it for absence of mistake or you know motive. Come on. The juries don't make that distinction. And when you bring five people from the 80s into a trial to do something like that, good luck. Well, and I know you said nobody's going to sympathize with Cosby. Let's let's take the public figure aspect out of the picture. An injustice for one is an injustice for all because these rules are supposed to apply to everyone. 
So it matters. It matters that someone was sitting in prison after being convicted, after going through two trials on that kind of 404B evidence, and after that kind of prosecutor uh, agreement, prosecution agreement, prosecution declination, that matters. Because what that means now is anybody else who is guaranteed a prosecution declination in exchange to give a deposition in a civil case can rely upon it, whereas before they couldn't. Well, and you better get it in writing in case your lawyer dies. That's true. Okay, did we hit the 10-minute mark? Are we? Oh, probably beyond that. All right, that concludes our first episode since the winter. We will no longer talk about Bill Cosby. Amen. Free Britney, signing off.